His Captive Brought the Princess by Jagger Cole is love. I wasn't looking for trouble, but he found me anyway. I've played a role my entire life, the glamorous movie starlet with the it factor smile, the perfect little Hollywood princess saying all the right lines. That is, until a paparazzi crisis has me jumping onto the back of a complete stranger's motorbike, headed who knows where. But my sinfully gorgeous hero isn't so heroic at all. Nikolai Antonov is one of the most brutal, vicious killers in the Russian mob. I'm a princess on the run. He's a hitman dodging the heat from an assassination. And now, like it or not, I'm his. His captive, his prize. The object of his fierce, hungry gaze. But this isn't the movies. The dominant, volatile beast of a man should terrify me, not make me weak in the knees. I should run for the hills, not tease him, not tempt him, not jump into bed with him. But all that might be the least of my worries. A rival Bratva wants him dead. My psycho ex wants me back in front of the cameras. And a dark seeker from both our paths wants to drag us into the shadows. Once upon a time in Hollywood, a princess fell for the bad guy. And that was only the beginning. This Bratva captive romance is a steamy, non-stop thrill ride that I promise will leave you breathless and aching for more. Safe, absolutely no cheating, no cliffhanger, and a perfect happily ever after. That's it. Go grab it, guys. His Captive Brought the Princess by Jagger Cole. Welcome back to the second part of Katie Roberts Week. Yo, yo, yo. We've got their second chance. We're playing the second installment, like Mel said. If I can tell you quickly, go by Neon Gods. <laughs> it looks fantastic. <laughs> it's in audio. That cover is unreal. And um, like I said on Tuesday, it's a Hades and Persephone retelling. This is the book bio for it. Society darling, Persephone Demetrio. I think it's Demetrio plans to flee the ultra modern city of Olympus and start over far from the backstabbing politics of the 13 houses. But all that's ripped away when her mother ambushes her with an engagement to Zeus, the dangerous power behind their glittering city's dark facade. With no options left, Persephone flees to the forbidden Undercity and makes a devil's bargain with a man she once believed a myth, a man who awakens her to a world she never knew existed. Hades has spent his life in the shadows, and he has no intentions of stepping into the light. But when he finds that Persephone can offer a little slice of the revenge he spent years craving, it's all the excuse he needs to help her, for a price. Yet every breathless night spent tangled together has given Hades a taste for Persephone, and he'll go to war with Olympus itself to keep her close. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love a man willing to burn an entire city for the woman he loves. Mm -hmm. What's that? Uh, He's what's like, that? I'll burn this bridge <clears throat> while I'm fucking standing on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What's that? Uh, somebody posted up a picture one time I saw it, and it said, like, a hero will sacrifice you to save the world, but a villain will sacrifice the world to save you. And I was like, yes, that's why a villain's so fucking awesome. Because <laughs> they'll be like, fuck that's the world. That's true. <laughs> no, right? Like, who doesn't yeah. want that? I'm telling we have to write a superhero book. We have I to. know. We really have to. We're going to. We're going to do it. I have it in my notes. It will happen eventually. 
So, but yeah, go check out Neon Gods by Katie Robert. Um, like I said before, we're going to play uh, their second chance in just a few minutes. Don't forget to enter her giveaway for a signed paperback and a $25 gift card. I want to say all that so I don't forget and then get caught up talking to you. And we're like, oh shit, play the book. <laughs> I watched something while you were on vacation last week and it was called Panic. And it's on Amazon. It's like an Amazon produced show. And it was so fucking good. And I think you would love it. Is it a so, movie or a show? It's a it's a TV series or okay. a, yeah, like a a, a a it's like a movie that's broken into parts. Whatever you want to call. It. I don't know if they'll do like another season or if this is just like a standalone. But it's basically about. I I don't feel like the trailer was very good at telling what it's about. So it, in this small town, when you start high school, you pay a dollar. Every day that school is in session, every kid in high school does. All the kids do all the grades. Every kid pays $1 every day school is in session for your entire high school career. When you graduate high school, they do this thing called the panic. And you can enter it if you want. And if you win, you get the money that's been collected. Oh, so so it's like, I think this year, it, the year they did it on this, it's like $50,000. And so... You can enter to win. So, it, but what you had to do is compete in a series of like tasks and they're all really fucked up. <laughs> and so like, you know, I, I won't spoil it and say like which tasks they are, but they're like, think of it as like, okay, so the very first one is super easy. It's like, I think it's in the first episode. You have to jump off into a quarry and depending on where you jump is you get points based on that. So the higher up you go in the quarry, the bigger the jump, the more points you get. That's the easiest thing they do. And then it's like, you know, there's a mystery suspense that's happening, but it's like a scary movie the whole time it, where it's not like it, there's not like a horror thing that's happening, but it's all the tasks they have to do. Like in the previews, somebody gets buried alive. And it's like, how long can you stay buried alive? That is like my number one fear. Right? And it's like, well, and then they said that's the, they were like, it's not, it's not the, the task that will kill you. It's the panic. And so that's what they say is like, can you do these things without panicking? And so like it. I can't do anything without panicking. I know. I'm like, my first response is panic. <laughs> They're like, we're out of milk. Panic. You know? <laughs> That's all I know how to do. <laughs> but this show was so good. And there's this scene in it. And if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead. But I know Mel does, so I'm about to tell her. <laughs> so there's like this. All right, start skipping now and give me like two minutes. So there's this guy in it, and he's like trailer trash. He's the bad guy or whatever. And the girl in it is trailer trash too. But she's trying to get – she's trying to go to college. She's trying to win panic so she can get this money. And the whole – everybody in the school hates this, like, this dude because he's, like, loud and, like, like you know, races his car all over town, fucks all these girls, drinks all, all these parties. He's obnoxious. So anyways, like, there's this one scene where he gets her alone – and she's like, oh, shit, like, this is hot or whatever. And he, because he's, she's on the hood of a car and he's leaning over her. And I tried to find a clip of this, but I couldn't. But, God, I want to find the transcript so I can tell you exactly what he says. But he leans over and he was like, you know why I like you? You're trash. And he was like, I'm trash, too. He was like, he says, that's what this town is. It's nothing but trash and stink and whatever it is. And he's like, and he says something where it's like, he's like, I can't get enough of it. He's like, rich girls, they smell like plastic. 
he was like, I like it like this. I like it dirty. And then oh. he goes, I was like, hold up. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Like, it was so good. But, like, there's no, like, you know, it doesn't show, like, sex or anything. It's all, it's almost like it's made for teenagers or something because it cuts the sex scene out. But it, yeah. like, shows them in bed, like, later or whatever. But that one scene where he, like, leans over and tells her she's trash and he likes it. God, it is so fucking hot. Damn. I was, I even made a note. I wrote it down. Tell Mel about this show. Because <laughs> I was like, you, you would really like it. Kevin and I both watched it. We both really liked it. I think it's only like eight episodes. So, okay. yeah, it's really good. And there's like this, like, mystery you're kind of figuring out. And you're like, who's in this? Who's not? And there's like secret judges and stuff. So you don't know, like, who's doing the judging and who's not. And like, who's involved. And it's like the town sheriff is trying to break it up this whole time. And it's just so good. Yeah, it's really good. Watch it. So, and then uh, the other thing I wrote down was that the Fast and the Furious movies hold up. (laughs) Because we watched like four of them the other night. (laughs) They do. I don't know what happened, but like Kevin had gone to the bathroom and he was like, oh, just find something to watch. And I was like, I'm clicking the first thing I see because I don't give a shit. You know, I was like, I'll just sit here and play on my phone, whatever. And I put it on Fast and Furious while he was in the bathroom. And I was like, I'll just watch the beginning of it. And then he sat down. It's like, oh, you put this on? He was like, all right, fine. And like, he, we just watched it. And I was like, let's watch another one. <laughs> so we did. And they're so good. They're still yeah. so good. Yeah, they are good. I think they're better than people remember them. Yeah. Like, the tech in it's kind of funny because it's like, like, you know, we were talking about when that movie first came out. It was 2001. You know, we were both in college when that came out, the first one. But, uh, you know, there's one point this guy's playing a video game in his car. And Kevin was like, I remember seeing that thing. No way. That guy's playing a video game in his car. Like, that's so fucking cool. (laughs) He was like, that's so dumb now. You know, like. Like, some of the technology in the cars and stuff. And I remember uh, my sister dated this guy that was super into cars. Like, he souped him up, built cars or whatever. And I remember we went to go see it in theaters. And he was like, he's like, nitrous oxide isn't explosive. <laughs> like, he kept talking shit on the movie because he was like, they're like, NOS! And then the car blows up. And he's like, he's like NOS isn't flammable? <laughs> what are they doing (laughs) it was so funny but like it it actually it's like flammable but it's a combustion i guess like if something blows up it will accelerate the explosive but it's not actually explosive itself but i thought that was so funny he was like what why are they running (laughs) we were watching it but oh my god it's they're still so good and like it just made me really love paul walker and then like i remember he's dead and it was really sad oh. i was like man this is depressing now i but, always love the girl that he falls in love with she's oh. so pretty she's like the soft pretty mm-hmm. yeah the soft yeah. sweet pretty with a touch of exotic yes She's just so beautiful. Like, uh, what's it? It's, I can't even remember now. God, I just watched all these fucking movies and I can't remember it. It's like, I don't know. Ben Diesel's girlfriend in it. Mm-hmm. I think her name's Michelle Rodriguez. I think that's yep. her real name. She was such a badass. And the reason I liked her in the movies was because she wasn't like the prissy girls. Like, you know, she wasn't like one of the like really beautiful models that like were skinny and wore like, you know, bikinis and stuff to, you know, the drag races. Like she would show up in like a muscle tank and cargo pants 
and he still wanted to get at it. And she would just go up and like push the skanks away. And she's like, I smell skank. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was just so funny. And she like, was caught. She wasn't like super yeah. jealous when girls would hit on. Mm-hmm. She's like, that man's mine. He's yeah. Not going she's nowhere. like, I'm not worried about it. And then she, at one point, they're at like the party, and this is in the first movie. And she's like, You're going to come upstairs and give me a massage. And he was like, I just got here. The party starts. She's like, come upstairs and give me a massage. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I love her. <laughs> so, but those were, those are so fun. Like I spent a few days like watching those and it was, they, they hold up. So if anybody wants to go back and rewatch something, that's the way to do it. I so. did that with Bad Boys a little while back. Oh, you know, I haven't seen all of those. I saw the first one when it came out, but I haven't seen the rest of them. They're good. I mean, I would watch I love Will Smith. I love that he posted that thing on Instagram the other day where he had, like, gained a ton of weight. And it's just, Mm -hmm. like, he's, like, in the shorts. And he's, like, this is the most out of shape I've ever been. And he was, like, there was just – and it's, like, he still looked hot to me. (laughs) I was just, like, yeah, that's – I'm okay with that. (laughs) There's more of you to love, baby. (laughs) Right? Uh, it killed me. Oh, I was telling you earlier, both of my daughters are going to sleep away camp. I think when this airs, excuse me, it will be next week. But um, I'm really excited. Like, you know, my oldest one, she's done sleep away camp before. This isn't a big deal. But it's my youngest one. It's her first time. And she is like ready. Like, I don't, she's going to run out of this house the second she's 18. Like, she's going to burn rubber out of this driveway. Like, I know yeah. it. I feel that way about Isabel. I'm like, she's <clears throat> out of here. Yeah. I know. I'm like, she was born ready to go. And I'm just like, it makes me so sad, too. Because <laughs> I'm like, I just want to pin her down. Like, you yeah. can't leave. But she's so excited about Girl Scout camp. And, oh, it's going to be so fun. They had their award ceremony tonight. And I cried. <laughs> because <laughs> I know, right? So my youngest, Hallie, you know, she'll be seven in July. She she graduated from being a daisy. She, they called a bridge ceremony. She turned into a brownie. So she's not, the daisy's the start. Like, that's the littlest, littles. And there's only one other girl that's younger than her. And the two of them were, like, little babies when we started. Like, the other one, Olivia, this is her first year in daisies now. And she was an infant, you know, when when I started teaching Girl Scouts with my oldest one. I mean, Lydia's 10. You know, she started when she was five, six. So, I mean, it's been five or six years or whatever. So, you know, Hallie was just a little, she had a little green shirt that said Future Girl Scout on it. Aww. And she would go to meetings with Lydia when Lydia was in Daisies and... <clears throat> Now, you know, Lydia's in her second year as being a junior, and she'll be a cadet next year, and it was just, it was, like, really emotional when Hallie walked across the bridge and, like, had to put on her little brownie vest. I was just like, oh, my God, my baby. I love Girl Scouts. (laughs) I know. It's, it's, It's such a thing. And, you know, like, oh, my God, this is so silly, but, like. We were sitting there tonight, and a bunch of the older girls are there. I mean, we're very lucky with our troop. They're still, like, I think it's eight of the older girls that are in high school. They've done it all together since they were in Daisies. There's two sets of twins, so there's those four. And there's four other girls that they're all friends with, and they all do it together. And I love it because they're all best friends, and they're all, like, at each other's houses all the time, and they're, like, loud and fun. And you can tell that they're kind of dorky. You know, yeah. like, they're all kind of dorky in their Girl Scout uniforms, getting their awards, and they're in high school. But, like, they don't give a shit. 
And I was like, God, I wish I would have felt like that, you know? I had an old friend call me on the Facebook, whatever. Yeah. And, like, the first thing out of both of our mouths was, like, remember a Girl Scout? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, I love that. I feel like and talked to her in a long time, but that was like the first things out of our mouth. Mm-hmm. I, I can believe it. I hope it's like this, you know, like that for them forever. I really do. I hope that they're that they make lifelong friends and they love it, and I hope they stay dorky and they and silly, and that they don't care. I hope that's, you know, there's plenty of time to be grown up later. I hope they, you know, enjoy yeah. it as long as they can. So. That's that. <clears throat> All right. I've got some lady listener emails, one of which I thought was a really good question. All right. This one is entitled Super Random Question. Hey, lady DJs. I'm sure y'all have answered this question before and I've just forgotten, but have your husband slash kids ever read your books? I'm always so curious as to what your significant others think of what you write and if they ever feel curious or weirded out by the sexiest sin men you create in your heads. Thanks for all the laughs and keep up with the good times. See um, my husband read like a couple of our books in the beginning just to like be supportive, but now no, like no. I don't think Rob ever has. I don't know. This is like this world is my world. Like mm-hmm. this is mine. Yeah. Everything that's going on in it is my. I don't know. He's yeah. never gotten into it, and it mm-hmm. seems very. Um, I'm a little possessive of it. It's the one thing in my life that is just different from mm-hmm. everything else he's involved in. Yeah, no, I totally see that, like, very protective of it. And I feel like, you know, as far as, like, my kids reading it, I it wouldn't make me feel comfortable if they read it just because I wrote it. I mean, I would definitely encourage them to read romance. I wouldn't want them necessarily to read what I wrote. I just feel like that might be, like, crossing some sort of line, like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's my own, like, you know, hesitation or whatever. I just wouldn't feel comfortable. I, I don't feel comfortable with anybody I know reading my books. So it's not just my kids. But I hope that my kids would look at this and think of how empowering it is as a feminist to own my sexuality, you know, to that, I, you know, that I've, I was successful at this. You know, I hope that that's what my kids look at when they see our books, that they're like, these two badass babes built this and did this mm-hmm. together. You know, that's yeah. what I, I hope people and especially our kids, you know, your kids and mine. I hope they look at the two of us and see like this is possible, you know. Yeah. All right, this is the other question that I, I really liked. This says, odd woman question. Hey, lady DJs. So I have an odd question. Now, I was going to post this in the Read Me Romance headquarters, but I didn't know if I would get you into trouble with Facebook, so I thought I'd try email first. So here's the question. Does what a woman calls her vagina change with age, or as it, or is it dependent on the person, or, does, or it doesn't change? I'm writing a book with one of the main characters is in her 40s, and I was trying to figure out what someone her age would call her V. Can it be any name that I want? Does it change over time? My character is a little old school, but she's also someone who isn't embarrassed by sex at all. I don't really hang out with people, and I'm only 20, so I don't really know anything about people. So sorry if this is a stupid or inappropriate question. It's not. If it is, please feel free to ignore it. The only 40-year-old I know is my mother, and there isn't enough dick and pussy in the world that would make me ask her, LOL. Seriously, I can't ask her. (laughs) Happy Pride Month from your friendly neighborhood bisexual. Oh, my God. I love that. 
Yes. Happy Pride Month. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think when I was younger, I called it silly things like cooter or cooch or whatever. Like, I still say that sometimes. I think it's funny. But like I vagina. I call it whatever. Some moments call for different things. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. in the heat and when it's dirty and sexy, you might think of it as a pussy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when you're just by yourself and something mm-hmm. has come up, you might call it a vagina. I really think it's yeah. like situational. I, you're absolutely correct. I would say this exact same thing. It's situational. Because, like, if I'm talking to, like, my kids about it, I'll, I'd say vagina. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, just, like, wash your vagina or whatever, you know. Like, I'd, But if we're writing and it's, like, a dirty sex scene, yeah, I'd say, like, pussy, cunt. Like, I, I like it dirty like that. So... Call it something nasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's what gets my gears going. All right. Next email. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I had this pulled up. Yes. All right. Hi. I'm sure you ladies get a ton of emails and don't have the chance to respond to everyone, but I wanted to reach out anyway. I love your podcast. I've been listening for a little over a week now, and you ladies bring me so bring so much joy to my day. I think what I enjoy most is that you guys inspire me to do what I love. I have always wanted the opportunity to write for a living and have thought about self-publishing books a lot recently. I used to have a Wattpad account with several thousand followers for a dark romance I was writing. I wrote under a pen name because I was terrified someone would find out. That seems like a silly fear, but when it actually, but then it actually happened. Oh shit. The story was a stalking slash kidnap story. And a guy from high school found it and started showing up at my house. Address was not given to him, leaving notes in my mailbox, etc. Oh, shit. I did not read this beforehand. I still desperately want to write romance, but I'm terrified of the same thing happening again. My question is this. When you started publishing romance, how open were you about it? How did your family and friends react? I'm known by most people as very innocent, but my writing is a completely different story. No pun intended. Advice welcome. Thanks again for bringing joy and laughter to my prison cell of a cubicle eight to five job. I won't say her name because I don't want to get her like stalked. So this fucker like was like, I'm going to be her. It's so creepy uh, out of a book, guys. It is. Yeah, like, th- it's this, completely different. <laughs> it is. Real life is not the place for those fantasies to take place. No. Oh my yeah, God. No. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit disturbing. Um, you know, there are so many people now. This was in 2019. It's not that far away. But, you know, there's so many people now that publish under pen names and you could never find out who they are. Like, if you don't, yep. if they don't want you to know, you won't know. Yep. Like, even a good friend of mine here in town that writes, she got an iPad and had it registered to, like, her husband's old email address. And that was how she set up all her stuff. So it never linked to her. And like her husband doesn't have any social media accounts. So like it would never link to him. So like it was it. So that was like her way of doing it to sort of like circumvent all of that. And so that might be something you can do too, because she was the same way. Like she didn't want any of her family to find out. I mean, my family, like if anybody knows me, they could probably Google it and find out. But most people don't know to even Google that and find out. Like, I mean, if you looked up Alexarella, you'd see pictures of me and you. You know, like people could find it if they wanted to. But I don't feel like that's something people would just stumble across. 
So I'm yeah. actually like, how did the fuck did this guy find you on Wattpad? Like, that's like a sea of people. I don't yeah. know how you could find anybody. But, I mean, obviously, if people really want to know, they'll find you. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't tell my family or most of my friends, uh, you know, my close friends know what I do. But I just, I think I'm a private person in general. Maybe a little overboard in cases. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like... But yeah, I, I think there's ways to do it to where you don't ever have to be found out. I mean, you know, what was it? Nora Roberts post published under J.D. Robb for years and nobody knew. So there you go. I didn't even know that. Yeah, she posts, uh, she writes on, she writes some uh, mysteries under the name J.D. Robb. So nice. yeah. <clears throat> All right. This is from, I won't say who it's from, I guess. I don't even say it. Uh, since I live in the KC metro area and I'm seeing that there is a tornado warning near Mel, I just wanted to check and make sure she and her family are okay. I've been doing the same with all of my friends in the area who were hit by a tornado earlier this evening. Thank you, ladies, for an amazing podcast. It makes my daily workout much nicer. I forgot I pulled this one. This is from May of 2019. <laughs> oh, was, that might have been the year when we actually had the huge tornado come past us. Maybe so, yeah. And we were uh, watching it out the back door. <laughs> She's good, Sarah. She's good. <laughs> that All was right. like, God, that was the last really big one where we really had to take shelter for a long time. I remember that one. That was scary as shit. I didn't, I mean, like, and what the fuck can anybody do, you know? Just wait it out. God, Mother Nature scares me. She's a bitch. <laughs> All right. This one says, hi, Leah and Tessa and Mel. That's in parentheses. Hi to me. <laughs> okay, so back when I was in my late teens, I worked at a really tiny bowling alley. Oh my god, this is from our bowling stories. When I said I want, I wanted people. If you have a bowling story, please send it in. I want to know. It is called Prismo Bowl in Prismo Beach, California, and the bowling alley had been there since the 1920s. It only has eight lanes, and when I worked there, the ball return was still above ground. I used to work weekends there, frying food, handing out shoes. I promised I washed my hands thoroughly between those activities, ringing people up, etc. Prismo Beach is a beach town and very touristy. We get a lot of people from the valley, meaning people from Bakersfield and Fresno, both shithole desert towns. Her words, not mine. <laughs> my favorite story from working there is this. To set the scene, when I was when I was 18, 19, I was just shot five feet tall and weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. Ah, the good old thin days. <laughs> I love this email. So I was tiny. This giant ass six foot, 250 pound man comes up to the counter where I am and decides he's going to try to intimidate me. Tourists in a big thundering voice. Excuse me, your lanes are crooked, he says. This he says this while leaning over the counter to try and loom over me. I'm not intimidated. Me. Not the first time I've heard this, an irate customer say this, but I had a new idea as how to defuse this one. Sir, I assure you they are not. We have our lanes inspector come in in every eight weeks to inspect the lanes. Tourist. No, I'm telling you they're crooked. Me. No, sir, they're not. We have leagues that play here. Tourist. I'm telling you, they're crooked. Every time I bowl, my ball goes towards the right. Me. I've had it and I won't listen to reason. And he won't listen to reason. Wait, did you say to the right? Tourist. Yes, every time. Me. Oh, you know what? It's 1.30. The tide's coming in. Tourist. Completely taken back and pauses. Wait, that would have, that would have an effect? Me. 
Sir, we are two blocks from the beach. Of course it would. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Thank you. He walks away and I ran into the back to die of laughter because I couldn't believe that it worked. He came back and thanked me for letting him know because he started to bowl more to the left and his game improved. Oh my God. You fucking jackass. As to any kind of romantic tryst, not so much. There was one guy who was like 32, and when I was like 18, we had some heavy makeout sessions, but nothing beyond that. Yes, we made out on the couches that were at the bowling alley after closing time. For the most part, everyone was just friends, and everyone was really cool. In general, the people who come in are just happy people who just want to have a good time. We would get surfers in who wanted to, a bite to eat. We would end up getting soaking wet ocean money from them. I eventually became a lane mechanic and would work on the lines if they broke. I loved doing it. There was something so freaking cool and empowering about being this tiny little teenager under a machine like it was a car. I loved it, and it was such a fun job. I'm still a terrible bowler, which is kind of funny. I'm basically awful at bowling, but I love it. I also cringe and used to have nightmares when people would walk on the lanes that are oiled every other day or so. So it's really bad for the lanes when people walk on them. So to that, I say, PSA, do not walk on bowling alley lanes. Anyways, you don't have to read this giant ass email out uh, out to everyone, but Leah wanted a bowling story, so she has one. And if I see an Alexa Rally book about a heroine who is a is who is a bowling alley mechanic that meets a hot guy, all I ask is that the book is dedicated to me. LOL. Love you all, and I'm so happy I found the podcast. All the best, Kristen. I love that. I love that story. <laughs> she told him it was the tide. I can't. <laughs> He's a leader. What a fucking idiot. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. I'll leave the rest for next time then. Um, Yes. So, Katie Roberts, like I said earlier, go check out Neon Gods, uh, the Hades and Persephone retelling. Um, Go check her out on Patreon. She always has, like, her stuff on that's on there, like, uh, exclusive. You can get stuff early there, early access. Go check her on that. And then go check her out on TikTok. She's always posting up book recommendations, whereas, like, the ones where she's like if you like this then read this and if you like this read that and so she's really good about recommending all authors not just her books which I think is fantastic and she's author Katie Roberts on TikTok and it's Katie K-A-T-E-E and it's Robert so um yeah so we're gonna play um the second installment of their second chance and we'll see you on the other side Hey, lady listeners, the Wounded Souls MC series by Leah Shrell is out now, and I'm going to tell you all about it. Come along for the ride with the Wounded Soul MC as they take you on an adventure that has love, laughter, death, betrayal, and an MC princess that rules them all. You can grab the first book, His Sweetness, for 99 cents, but what I absolutely love is the first three books are in audio. His Sweetness, His Honey, and His Beauty all have audio. And the great thing about it is they're all based in Australia. So the narrator's Australian. It's sexy. It's so fun. Those covers are super hot. Like I said, grab the first book for 99 cents, his sweetness, and then just binge the rest of them. You won't regret it. That's the Wounded Souls MC series by author Leah Shrell. Chapter 3 Nomi's knees hit the carpet before she made a conscious decision to obey Isaac's rough command. She'd asked for this, demanded this, pushed and pushed him until he felt cornered and lashed out. So why the hell did it hurt so much to kneel there and watch him? It's only for now. 
The words gained no traction. Time held no meaning. It was just the two of them in this moment. No past dogging their heels and no future to speak of. Isaac watched her with those pale eyes of his as he locked the door and pulled his shirt over his head. He moved easily, the long standing pain in his left shoulder obviously not bothering him anymore, and undid his jeans to slide them down his thick thighs. He always looked even larger when naked, as if being stripped of the civility of clothing revealed his true self. Her warrior. No, not mine anymore. Isaac considered the room as if surveying a battlefield, and finally walked to the oversized chair tucked into the corner directly across from her. She'd bought that chair five years ago just so he'd have something to sit in that couldn't be termed doll-sized, so he'd be comfortable here with her. It was such a long time ago. Crawl. The word rasped from him as it pulled against his will. It had never been like this with them. Rough and brutal and so hot she could barely stand it? Yes, always, every time. He was the only man she'd ever been with who treated her as if she wasn't an object in danger of breaking from a strong word or a harsh touch. Isaac knew she could take everything he gave her and more. But it had never been cruel. He had never been cruel. She didn't care. She meant it when she said she deserved whatever he chose to deal her. He would never, ever hurt her with his strength. But words were more than capable of causing lasting damage. Nomi had apparently developed a masochistic streak because she welcomed it. She dropped to her hands and knees and crawled to him. Every agonizing, humiliating movement only spiked her desire higher. Because it was for Isaac. Because she could feel him watching her, his big body tense with the need to touch her. Because she knew what came next after she reached the chair he sat in. Nomi would fight to the death before she'd abase herself like this under normal circumstances. But it simply felt right with him. She couldn't think too hard about that. Couldn't fight through the jagged shard of pain in her throat at the knowledge that this was it for them. So she set it all aside. Tonight, nothing mattered but what happened in these rooms. She made it to Isaac and straightened to put her hands on his thighs. The chair was deep enough that she wouldn't have to climb him to get to his cock. And she let herself drink in the sight of him, sprawled there like some kind of indolent king. He was beautiful, and tonight he was hers. You know what to do. She did. Nomi reached out and wrapped her fist around his cock. Rationally, she knew he wasn't bigger than she remembered. But two years and some intentional forgetting had dulled the memories of how he filled her hand and then some. Her body clenched in response. Yes, yes, I need this. But... She made herself release him. Isaac, I don't want this to be because I pushed you into doing something you wouldn't do. The words tasted foul on her tongue, but she forced them out despite wanting to clutch onto anything to keep him from leaving. I provoked you. Yeah, you did. He sifted his fingers through her hair, winding it around his fist until it was just this side of pain. Getting cold feet? Never. She leaned down and took his cock into her mouth. There was a time when she could deep throat him without hesitation, but she'd long since fallen out of practice. She fought to take him down, battling her body's instinctive response to gag. All the while, he kept that grip on her hair. Stubborn to the bitter end, aren't you? 
He gave her a tug, which she ignored. Careful there, Nomi. You keep sucking me like that, and I might start to think you missed me. She had. God, but she'd missed him so much she could barely breathe past it some nights. She ran her hands up his thighs to dig her fingers into his hips, loving the way his muscles flexed beneath her, an involuntary response he'd never been able to hide from her. She sucked him deeper, harder, falling back into the rhythm of it. Apparently her body hadn't forgotten after all. It was only her mind that has caused her so much in the way of grief. Did you swallow those fuckers down until they came just from the sight of your pretty red lips wrapped around their cocks? You always were good at this, Nomi. No, not good. Fucking perfection. She dragged herself off his cock, her heart wrenching in her chest. Stop it. Isaac's face showed nothing, but a storm of emotion lurked in those pale eyes. You signed on for retribution. It hurt too much to know that none of those other cocks will compare to mine. That's on you. This was a mistake. They might have loved each other once, but now they seemed incapable of doing anything but driving their respective knives deeper and twisting it every chance they got. She couldn't walk away. She'd never get another chance with Isaac again. This isn't a chance, Nomi. This is a goodbye, and you're a fool if you forget that. Yes, she knew that. Of course she knew that. She gave Isaac's cock another rough stroke and then released him so she could climb into his lap. You want to keep throwing the past between us? Do what you've got to, Isaac. She fitted herself against him and rolled her hips, dragging herself over the ridge of his cock. It felt good, so damn good, that she did it again. Are you angrier that I fucked other men? or that you couldn't fuck the memory of me away any more than I could do it with the memory of you. She'd tried. Good Lord, she'd tried so hard to put him in the past, to carve out a clean break. It hadn't worked. She wasn't sure it would ever work. You're not mine anymore, Nomi. He grasped her hips and urged her down against his cock harder, dragging her nice and slow over him. You can fuck whoever the hell you want to. I don't want anyone but you. She didn't shut the thought down fast enough, and something must have shown on her face, because he shook his head. No, don't look at me with those big blue eyes like I mean shit to you. That's not what this is about. She couldn't turn off her emotions. If Nomi had learned that trick before now, she would have used it without hesitation more than a few times in her life. She wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. God, she could barely stand herself right now. This indecisive hurting thing wasn't Nomi Huxley. She was a powerhouse, a woman who went after what she wanted without hesitation or apology. So be it. She reached to the side to rummage in the tiny side table situated next to the oversized chair and came up with a condom. Isaac snatched it out of her hand before she had a chance to do anything with it, holding the foil package in front of his face as he read it. This is the kind we used. No convenient answer arose to explain this away. Lying wouldn't work. Isaac had always been able to tell when she tried to dissemble. Yes. He stared at it for several beats. The expiration date should have passed by now. It hasn't. She found herself holding her breath and cursed herself for showing even that much reaction. Isaac finally looked at her, really looked at her, for the first time since he walked into the room. 
if I were a stupid man, I'd assume you were replenishing your stash in here in hopes that this thing would happen between us again. Since that had been exactly what she had done, she couldn't pretend otherwise. I missed you. Fuck that. He shook his head once, then again. Fuck that, Nomi. You don't get to throw me away like yesterday's trash and expect me to be grateful to know that you had left me crumbs if only I'd come crawling back to you. That's shit and you know it. It was. She had no defense against it. What was she supposed to say? That she'd missed him so much in those first few months apart, that she'd gone so far as to start the process to give up her position as head of family in favor of passing it to someone else? She had, but ultimately there was no one else. Huxley family was responsible for over a hundred people, both members of the family itself and the staff they supported. There were other adult members of the family, but no one capable of running the finances and playing the game of politics as well as Nomi, especially in the wake of her father, the former head of the family, being a goddamn traitor. If she shirked her duty, people would get hurt, people she was responsible for. What was her happiness compared with that reality? So yes, she'd tortured herself for months on end with the thought of how she could have it all, and she'd come up with nothing. She was expected to marry well, to further Huxley's interests on that front, as well as with their various business acolytes. Isaac might be the best man she'd ever known, and she might love him, even still, beyond all reason. But he wasn't titled. Worse, as far as the nobles of Thalania were concerned, his mother hailed from Russia. Having him serve within the palace security ruffled feathers, but with the king and both consorts behind him, no one could do anything about it. To marry him? She'd jeopardize Huxley's standing, would undermine the family's power in a way that might not be recoverable. Know me? She sat back and forced herself to meet his gaze, knowing he'd see everything frantically circling through her mind. Isaac searched her face, his brows lowering. Know me, he said again as if she'd confessed everything in the space of a heartbeat. Is this a shrine to the past, or is this you hoping for the future? I don't know. The truth ripped itself from her lips, shredding them both in the process. She had no right to offer hope. She wasn't her own person, and neither was Isaac for that matter. He owed his allegiance to the crown, not to her. The old saying that a man could not serve two masters applied to both of them. No matter how much he liked to put the responsibility for their current situation on her, their relationship had been built with the knowledge that they'd never be able to put each other first, ever. Convenient of Isaac to forget that when it suited him. But Nomi didn't have that luxury. None of that changed this moment, the truth that lay between them like a living thing. I don't know, she repeated. How could we have a future? That's the question, isn't it? but the anger was gone from his face, replaced by some emotion she didn't dare name. He slid an arm under her ass and climbed to his feet easily, as if she was a child instead of a grown woman. Isaac walked unerringly around the furniture in the living room, down the short hall and into her bedroom. There were different smaller suites for other members of the Huxley family when they were called upon to visit the palace. This one was hers and hers alone. Isaac kicked the door shut behind him, and laid her on the bed with far more care than he'd touched her with up to this point. He tossed the condom onto the comforter next to her, 
his gaze going hot and weighted as he slid to his knees next to the bed. She propped herself onto her elbows and looked down her body at him, her heart in her throat. I thought you were going to take it out on me. Believe me, Nomi, I'm going to take everything I'm feeling out on you tonight. Starting with your pretty pink pussy. You're still aching for me, don't bother to deny it. He leaned down and his breath caressed her clit. And I'm dying for a taste. Chapter Four Isaac knew better than anyone what a bitch hope could be. Hope dangled possibilities in front of a man, and then snatched them away the second he forgot himself and reached for the thing he wanted most. What Isaac wanted most? The one thing he'd spent far too many years chasing with no hope of calling her his own in any real sense of the word? Know me. Always know me. She'd never understood that he'd throw everything away if it meant they were together. Had never been able to rationalize that level of sacrifice for personal happiness. Her loyalty, her marriage to duty, they were both things he'd loved and hated about her in equal measure. They made her the woman she was, but they also meant she was forever destined to walk away from him. One day it'd be for good. Except, damn her for giving him the smallest sliver of hope. She wasn't willing to admit what the condom meant, the one she kept stashed in their favorite place to fuck like some kind of good luck charm that would bring him back to her. Fine. She didn't have to admit it. He knew. He always knew what she was thinking, sometimes even before she did. She missed him. She wanted this thing back between them. It didn't matter. It couldn't matter. Isaac had spent years being her dirty little secret, and he'd never go back to that role, not even to keep her in his life. Maybe it was time to change the rules, to burn their expectations to the ground and redefine the future. It might not work. In fact, he was pretty damn sure it'd blow up in his face. What were three days in the face of a lifetime of conditioning? He wouldn't know until he tried. Isaac grabbed Nomi's hips and yanked her to the edge of the bed, the easier to get to her. He slid his hands beneath her ass and lifted her to his mouth. The first taste of her? Fuck. But the taste of her always drove him out of his goddamn mind. He devoured her in long licks driven on by her cries of pleasure and her heels digging into the back of his shoulders. She was drenched from her earlier orgasm, and he fucked her with his tongue, needing to be closer, to imprint himself onto her skin. He moved up to roll her clit between his lips, sucking lightly, teasing her. And Nomi, his stubborn, precious Nomi, lost the last of her filters. She reached over her head to clench the comforter, her eyes all blue fire and need, her lips moving as sinful, gasping words slipped free. It was always you, Isaac. Damn it. But it was always you for me. The ache in his chest compounded, brought on the knowledge that she might be telling him her deepest truth. But once the pleasure passed, it wouldn't change anything. It doesn't matter. It's the truth now. And fuck all the rest. He sucked her clit harder, setting his teeth against the sensitive bundle of nerves and her back bowed. Oh, fuck, don't stop. Make me come, baby. You know how I like it. Yeah, 
He did. He really, really fucking did. Isaac kept up the onslaught, watching her all the while, waiting for the exact moment when her orgasm swept her under. Nomi never looked more wild and true than when she was coming, and he used to live for those moments where her masks came crashing down, just like now. She came with his name on her lips, the most beautiful thing he'd heard in far too long. He knew better than to expect her to be satisfied with that, though. Not his Nomi, hungry for every last moment of pleasure, needing to pack each moment with him so full of memories, as if that would ward off the reality she always chose to go back to. Nomi wiggled out of his grasp and sat up to claim his mouth. She wrapped herself around him, delving between his lips as if savoring the way she tasted on his tongue. Isaac let her urge him up and onto the bed on his back. She touched him everywhere, each move filled with a desperation that only the feeling imploding inside him could match. He stroked his hands down her back to grip her ass, grinding her pussy against his cock. It would be the simplest thing in the world to lift her a little, to change the angle, to slide inside. God damn it. Condom, Nomi, unless you want me to fuck you bare. She hesitated. Nomi actually fucking hesitated before she gave herself a shake. Right, condom, of course you're right. Because they weren't faithful only to each other anymore. Isaac could have told her that it had been damn near a year since he gave up fucking away the memory of her. He could have mentioned that he'd been tested since and come up clean. He could have said a lot of things, but it would have invited a response from her, and for all his shit-talking, he couldn't stand the thought that she'd left some fuck's bed in the country to come to this one with him in the palace. She was her own woman, but some things just weren't worth knowing. She ripped open the foil package and shifted back far enough that she could roll the condom over his cock. Nomi's breath caught, just like it always had when she'd performed this act before. That little hitch of breath slayed him. Fuck it all. But he never stopped loving her. He clenched his jaw to keep the damning words inside. If this was goodbye, then it would be one for the record books. Isaac ran his hand down the center of her body, between her breasts, over her stomach, around to grip her hip. Ride me, Nomi. My cock's yours for the night. Don't let it go to waste. Never. She reached between them and adjusted his angle to notch him at her entrance. She planted her hands on his chest and sank onto him in a smooth movement. Her eyes fluttered shut, and she seemed to force them open. Oh, Isaac! He knew what she meant. It was too good. Too perfect. There should have been some kind of indicator that this was over. That it was different from all the times before. That they no longer belonged to each other. Instead, it was just as good as it had always been their bodies moving together in a rhythm as natural as breathing. Nomi rolled her hips. She was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen, all moon-pale skin and shining blonde hair, like some celestial goddess had wandered into his life and taken a shine to him. Five years spent worshipping at the altar of Nomi, and even on his darkest days he wouldn't take a second of it back. He shifted his grip so he could press his thumb against her clit. Each stroke rubbed her against his touch, 
and the breathy moan she gave was music to his battered soul. Tell me you missed me, Nomi. I missed you, Isaac. He'd give up damn near anything for a lifetime of the way she said his name when his cock was buried inside her. It felt so damn good to have her clamped around him, to see the pleasure written across her features, and know he was the cause. To hear those sexy little fucking whimpers she made every time her clit dragged against his thumb. Isaac fought for control, but he and control hadn't been on speaking terms since he walked into the Huxley suite. Tell me you love me, Nomi, because we both fucking know that you do. He arched up and clasped the back of her neck with his free hand. The shock parting her lips hurt more than it had right to, and Isaac kissed her to prevent her from answering. Better to lose himself in her taste, in the wild stroke of her tongue against his, than to let her admit that she didn't love him anymore. That maybe she never had. No, it was real. It might have gone down in flames, but it was real. Pleasure sparked down Isaac's spine, drawing up his balls. He couldn't last long, not with Nomi, not like this, but he fought back his orgasm, needing this to last as long as possible, to hold off the inevitable conversation to come, the one where they went through the motions of hurting each other again, all for the sake of some bullshit he wasn't even sure he believed in anymore. He toppled Nomi off him and climbed to his feet beside the bed. She flipped onto her stomach and went up on her hands and knees, anticipating him. It should have been easier like this, without his soul laid bare for her every time their eyes met, but nothing was easy with Nomi anymore. Isaac guided his cock into her again, and she arched her back, nearly sending him through the roof. He picked up his pace, fucking her just shy of brutality, and she slammed back into him with every stroke, urging him on with words and her body. Yes, yes, don't stop. Yes, Isaac. Her pussy clamped hard around him, and he was lost. Isaac drove into her once again, and a third time, coming with a curse. He dropped down next to her on the bed and rolled onto his back. Nomi shifted, giving him a sated smile. That was some A-plus fucking. It definitely deserves a marriage proposal. Her eyes went wide. God, forget I said that. It was too late. The memory of how they'd ended so many lovemaking sessions that it had become almost a joke between them. A joke with teeth, but a joke nonetheless. Marry me, Nomi. Maybe next year, Isaac. But next year never happened. And now, here they were. Isaac sat up. What the hell was he thinking? Fucking know me again? Except it wasn't fucking, and you damn well know it. He shut the snide-ass voice down just like he had countless times in the past. No, know me, I'm not going to ask you to marry me. I might be an asshole, but I'm not an idiot. You were never going to. That's not fair. She sat up and pushed her hair back from her face. I loved you, Isaac so much that some days I couldn't breathe past it. If things were different, save it. He held up a hand, her words bouncing around the inside of his skull. Loved. Loved, not love. He knew it, 
People didn't stay gone for years on end if they were still harboring a flame for their ex. But somehow hearing her use the past tense brought the sheer stupidity of this whole evening home. This was a mistake. What? He was already on his feet and heading for the living room. You heard me. There's no fucking you out of my system, and fucking you only makes this whole thing worse. You chose, Nomi. You chose Huxley over me, and I respected that choice enough to let you walk. He grabbed his pants off the floor and turned to find her standing in the doorway, her expression lost. Unless you changed your mind, her lower lip trembled. I have responsibilities. Yeah, I got that. We don't have to hash it out again. He jerked on his clothes, hating the way she watched him, hating the silence that sprang between them, so thick and poisonous with things left unsaid. No, not unsaid. They'd said everything there was to say, over and over and over again. No longer. I'll call in my favor with Galen and get someone else to cover your security detail. Just like that? Just like that. He headed for the door, leaving his still bleeding heart on the floor behind him. Goodbye, Nomi. I sincerely fucking hope I never see you again. Chapter 5 Nomi stood there for a long time, staring at the door Isaac had very carefully not slammed behind him when he left her. For good this time. There should be something some kind of relief or clean pain or... But no, all she felt was a hole gaping open beneath her feet, one that would send her spiraling into darkness for years to come. There was no happy ending here. She likely didn't deserve one. It hadn't been like this last time. When Nomi cut things off with Isaac, she'd been heartbroken, but a tiny kernel of hope existed that they'd find a way. That kernel might have shrunk as weeks turned into months, into years. But it still existed, something she could set her course by. A tiny question of what if. What if they found a way? What if they made things work? What if love really could conquer all? Now she knew the answer. They couldn't. Things wouldn't. And love was only as strong as the two people willing to put the work into it. She walked back to the bedroom, but the rumpled bedspread only reinforced the fact that she would be sleeping alone, forever. Nomi had embraced the comforting lie that someday she'd marry. It was expected, after all. But in the wake of her last time with Isaac, she couldn't stand the thought of another man's hands on her. Of sharing her bed, her life, her future with anyone but him. What am I doing? She shook her head and then did it again. No clarity came. But through the fog of her jumbled thoughts, one rose to the surface. No. No, she said aloud. She had sacrificed everything for her family. She had put her happiness and her personal desires on hold to ensure that Huxley didn't go under in the wake of her father's treason. Two years later, they were fine. They were flourishing. If she couldn't follow her heart's path now, she'd never be able to do it. The path forward lay littered with pitfalls and one wrong step could send them tumbling over the edge. But she looked at the bed again, 
the memory of what she and Isaac had done superimposing itself over the emptiness now. If she didn't try, she would spend the rest of her life regretting that choice. She would resent her family for being the excuse she used to push Isaac away once and for all. I love him, she said to the empty room. Nomi was no child. She knew that love wasn't a recipe for lasting happiness. But after nearly a decade of knowing Isaac, she knew Isaac. If they could navigate the first step forward, they could carve out their own path, together. This might be her only chance to see if it was even possible. She rushed into her closet and threw on the first thing she found, a dress that wasn't the least bit appropriate for this time of day. Nomi barely glanced at her shoes. She could sprint in heels, but she didn't want to take the time to put them on. In her head, a clock ticked down, marking the growing distance between her soul and Isaac's. Her opportunity was slipping away. If she didn't get to him now, she was certain he would never give her another opportunity to get the jumbled words in her chest out. Nomi burst through the door and down the hallway. As she left the wing with all the family suites, Part of her registered that people were in the halls and staring at her disheveled appearance. But the rest of her was so focused on finding Isaac that she didn't give a damn. Each smack of her bare feet against the tiled floor became his name. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. She flung herself around a corner, heading for the section of the palace that housed the staff in the security headquarters, and caught sight of him farther down. He stood a head taller than anyone around him, and moved with a purpose she would have had a hard time matching if she wasn't so determined to reach him. Even so, he would outpace her in seconds, and once he reached the locked door of the security staff rooms, she would lose him. Nomi gathered what was left of the breath in her lungs and shouted, Isaac, Isaac, stop. The handful of people in the hallway scattered, pressing themselves against the wall as she sprinted past. They didn't leave, though. This gossip was too juicy to pass up. The head of the Huxley family causing a scene and chasing down Isaac Kozlov. He stopped and turned slowly to face her, his expression thunderous. Go back to your rooms, Lady Huxley. Fuck that. She skidded to a stop in front of him. I love you. I love you and I'm sorry and I'm a fool for thinking there was anyone out there for me but you. It's you, Isaac. It's always been you, and it will always be you. He gave her nothing, but that was okay. He'd put himself out for her again and again and again over the years, and she'd always held part of herself back, had always known that it couldn't be forever. That ended now. She went to her knees in front of him. In the time I've loved you, You've asked me to marry you 524 times. It used to be a joke that was never quite a joke. He'd look at her with so much love and propose, and she'd deflect the conversation to save her topics. Every single time. No more. He stared. You counted. I love you, she repeated. I love you, and I should have said yes the first time. I can't take all those missed opportunities back, but I can start again now. She glanced down at her empty hands. I don't have a ring, but I'll get you one. 
Marry me, Isaac Kozlov. I love you, and I don't want us to be a dirty little secret anymore. He looked over her head as whispers swept the hall. I think that cat's out of the bag. I'm sorry. Her throat threatened to close, but she muscled past the response just like she muscled past the burning in her eyes. I'm so, so sorry. I don't deserve for you to say yes, and I know I have penance to pay. I deserve that and more. Fuck, Nomi. He bent down and pulled her gently to her feet. I'm sorry I left the way I did, but you don't have to do this. He's forgiven. Everything's forgiven. The knot around her heart only tightened in response. She reached up and cupped his face. No, it's not. It's not forgiven yet, and that's okay. None of the shit that held us apart has changed. Fuck that shit. She twisted to glare at whoever of the onlookers had gasped. Seriously, people? If you're going to eavesdrop, then do it silently. Know me. A threat of amusement worked its way into his tone. Your family will lose their collective minds. I don't care. I'm head of family, and I've sacrificed quite enough for them. They'll deal with it. She took a tiny breath and let her hands drop. I know it's not that easy, Isaac. God, I know better than anyone. But if you love me, we can make this work. So I guess that's the only question left to answer. She moved back a little, trying to give him space, to hold her head high enough, even though she was in danger of begging at his feet for him to give the response she desperately needed. Do you love me? He searched her face as if he'd find the answer to her question there. No, me. Isaac cursed long and hard. Come here. He hooked an arm around her waist and pulled her to the security door, glared at the camera above it, and then towed her inside. Just like that, they were as close to alone as anyone ever got in this palace. Nomi, what are you doing? I love you. I don't know how many different ways I can say it. The burning in her eyes increased and a single betraying tear slipped free. She lifted her chin, suddenly realizing that this might not play out like she'd hoped when she made her ill-advised sprint after him. God, I'm sorry, I'm making a scene, which is the last thing you want. It seems that I'm endlessly setting myself up to apologize to you. I'll just go. Hold the fuck on. He planted his hand on the wall next to her head, stopping her before she had a chance to move. You can't just run in here like some kind of avenging Valkyrie, spill out words that I never thought I'd hear from you, and then bolt before I have a chance to process. Just hold the fuck on for a second, okay? Okay, she said meekly. Isaac closed his eyes for a long moment, and when he opened them, the wildness had bled out. You love me. Yes. You want to marry me. Her breath hitched in her throat. Yes. What changed in the last 10 minutes? Because we were saying goodbye when I was inside you, and now you're making a scene on your knees and asking for forgiveness. She could do this. She'd already made a fool of herself. What was a little more truth in the face of so much possibility? The price of losing you forever is too high. I won't pay it. I won't let you go if there's a way forward. And if we can't find one, then we'll damn well make one. It won't be easy. They'll ostracize you for it. They'll try. 
Huxley holds the favor of the crown and both consorts. They can't afford to do more than snub us. He still hadn't answered her, and the little kernel of hope in her chest flickered dangerously. If you love me, we'll make it work. If I love you. He gave a harsh laugh. Woman, I've loved you since the day I met you. There is no if. It's fact. Then, he sifted the fingers of his free hand through her hair. You're sure? You know me, know me. You put a ring on my finger, and there's no going back. No changing your mind. No worrying about what people might think. I'm yours, and you're mine. She was so sure, she could barely get the words out. Marry me, Isaac Kozlov, please. Yes. He lowered his head and kissed her, and then she was in his arms, wrapped up in his body as he plundered her mouth, answering with his body the same way he'd answered with his words. Yes, 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 yes. Applause broke out somewhere close, and they broke the kiss long enough to see the king and both his consorts grinning like fools. The king gave a slow smile. About damn time. Consort Galen rolled his eyes. Weddings make everyone crazy. Their third, Meg, laughed. If that isn't the truth, I don't know what is. She gave a little wave. Congrats, you two. And as much as I don't mind the whole PDA thing, you might consider not going to town against that wall. She winked. Right. They had an audience, always. Isaac started to loosen his grip on her, but Nomi tightened her legs around his waist. No way, I'm not letting go of you anytime soon. She leaned up and caught his earlobe with her teeth. What do you say we go to the suite and celebrate after we schedule an appointment with the jeweler? Not wasting any time, are you? Hell no, I think we've wasted more than enough. A giddy laugh bubbled up inside her. I'm not giving you a chance to change your mind. I'd be calling a priest right now if- You're right, the king cut in. We should definitely call a priest. He snapped his fingers, but Galen was already dialing. He looked at his own phone. The jeweler is on her way. And that was how Nomi found herself, a mere hour later, standing in front of a priest with a new ring on her finger, the royal triad at her back, and the love of her life holding her hand. He grinned down at her. Last chance to change your mind, not on your life. She squeezed his hand and turned to the priest. We're ready. We are gathered here today. Nomi looked up into Isaac's pale eyes as the priest spoke the familiar words and mouthed, I love you so much. I love you too, Nomi. He gave her one of his rare smiles, a gift all the more special because of how close she'd come to losing him. Their path forward wouldn't be the simplest or the easiest, but it was theirs and theirs alone. There was only one man she wanted next to her for the duration, and he stood in front of her, wearing her ring on his left hand, always and forever. Sky Warren has a brand new book out today, Strict Confidence, Rochester Trilogy, Book Two. Forbidden, commanding, mysterious. Beau Rochester has an entire house full of secrets, and those secrets are putting Jane Mendoza in danger. She fell in love with the one man she can't have. 
She should leave Maine to protect her heart, but the thread refuses to be severed. The brooding Mr. Rochester and his grieving niece are more than her job. They're her new family. She races against time to find answers and protect the people she loves. The cliffside grows dark with the misdeeds of the past. Her heart and her sanity fight a battle, but they are both at risk. Will Mr. Rochester learn to trust Jane? And will that trust destroy her? Grab Strict Confidence by Sky Warren out today. The Rochester Trilogy, book two. Welcome back. Hey. Well, that's it. Get out. (laughs) 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 No, thanks for listening, for hanging out with us, and for listening to Katie Roberts stuff. I'm not going to repeat myself. You guys know what to do. I will say, next week, we have a brand new book from Lucy Darling. I'm super excited about. It's called Love You Always. I can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. So make sure you join us next week with Lucy Darling and all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's it. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind. And read me romance. Read, read me romance.